Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. I'm Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, the Wednesday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. Man, we have an awesome show prep for you guys. We interviewed new PFF analyst Seth Galina, a quarterback guru. He goes in detail on the top quarterbacks in the class, including comparing Justin Herbert to pretty much an awful quarterback prospect. I mean, he <laughs> talked about him very poorly. That was a fantastic interview to hear Seth's like legit, honest takes on this quarterback class. He compared Justin Herbert to Jacob Eason in the interview, which I thought was very interesting and likened to. We also interviewed Dane Brugler of The Athletic. He's fresh off of writing up a seven-round mock draft that includes CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs going ahead of Jerry Judy, Christian Fulton, Xavier McKinney falling out of the first round. A lot of interesting insight from Dane on that. Um, and we're also... Man, you know what? Now you bring that up, I'm so sad that I didn't ask him how long it took him to put that together. Because oh, yeah. I know my three-round mock, I think it took me longer than the actual like first three rounds take. Like It took me forever <laughs> to put that together. Together. That seven rounder, like I wouldn't even, I would definitely forget like a half dozen players that are de- that sure are like third and fourth rounders. Yeah. I mean, D- Dane also writes the beast, his version of the draft guide sure. that is absolutely fantastic. I would encourage you all to subscribe to the Athletic and download that thing because it is a beast, exactly that. And we also got to bring this up. I brought this up on the Monday podcast, but maybe a little bit late in the show. But we are doing an Edge subscription giveaway. We will give you an Edge monthly subscription or ten. 10 randomly selected people, an Edge monthly subscription. If you email me at austin.gale at pff.com with a screenshot of your review on the podcast after April 12th, that includes the name of your favorite prospect in this class. That's all you have to do to enter. We only have about... 15 entries so far. So there's a lot of people going to be getting a draft guide. It's not going to be that hard to randomly select. Send in that email, send in that screenshot to get access to the Edge monthly product here at PFF, which gives you access to the draft guide, player grades, all this exciting stuff for a month. All right, without further ado, only one segment before the interviews, and it's the pub crawl, baby. You ready to rock? Let's go. All right, first thing here. Gil Brandt is reporting that the Dolphins might pass on a quarterback in the first round altogether. What's your take on this? Is this the right move for the Dolphins? So I, that was kind of my quarterback take of, I think, I, I think the top six plays out in the Chargers trade off for Tua Tungvaluwa and the, and the Dolphins don't think that they need to pigeonhole themselves into a guy who's obviously flawed in Justin Herbert is my take of how sort of cooler heads will prevail at the quarterback position here. And I can get on board with it. It's not a good roster that they have there. If they have to trade up to draft a quarterback, like they're giving up, you know, spots that need to be filled on that roster. They're giving up, you know, maybe protection for whoever is they do draft behind center. So I, I, Honestly, with that roster right now, that's kind of what I would do. I would do that, and I would roll with Josh Rosen, not let Ryan Fitzpatrick win me too many games next year. I, I'm with you, and I, I said this on the two minute drill yesterday, saying that they're not necessarily. I'm not necessarily against them trading down, maybe not collecting more picks in this class, but future first round picks in next year. Because yes. set set yourself up for this next year because this roster is not ready. It's not ready to compete in 2020, regardless of the quarterback you select after Joe Burrow. You don't have to force a Tua Tungvaluwa with injury risk. You don't have to force these high-risk, high-reward, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert type of prospects in this class. You can just collect very good players with the three first-round picks you have this year and then maybe set yourself up for the future to grab Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and some additional picks if you do trade down in the first round. I'm all about this, Gil Brand. It's one of the first times that the guy that blocked you, you're actually siding with. You should, uh, they should call up the saints if they want a 2021 first rounder. There you go. Perfect. I know you said what? 95% chance of 95 the dude, that, that money right now, their 2021 first or second rounder is gone by. I, I I've been asked this a lot. I've been asked this a lot about teams like the Packers, saints, Falcons. Should they trade up to try and grab a wide receiver? Should they trade up to get their favorite offensive tackle? And I keep telling them this, if you're not trading up for a quarterback, it's going to be so difficult for you to recoup that value on a different position when you're trading multiple picks, multiple maybe future first rounders, future second round picks to get a player at that position, wide receiver or offensive tackle, especially in a class where it's very loaded at both positions at offensive tackle and wide receiver. I can't get on board with it, but if you're a smart team looking to trade down and can convince a team like the Saints, Falcons, etc., to trade up, I'm all for it. And I think the Dolphins should be a part of that group. All right, moving forward here. 
There's also some rumors that Justin Herbert will be going ahead of Tua Tungavailoa in this upcoming draft. It's been Tua over Herbert for quite some time now. Betting markets had two-thirds chance Tua Tungavailoa goes ahead of Herbert. Now it's flipped. Herbert going ahead of Tua Tungavailoa, two-thirds chance. Also, Dane Brugler has Herbert going ahead of Tua in his latest mock draft. What's your opinion of that? (laughs) See, my opinion of the whole... Ooh, you know, Herbert Michael over is, the, is that's like the classic smoke screen that teams are going to be putting out. They like Herbert or teams are putting out that, Hey, they really, they're really worried about Tua's injury. Like that's everyone says, don't believe what you hear this time of year. That is the perfect sort of, you know, devaluing, not having to give up as much in the trade sort of market. If you are the dolphins, if you are the Chargers, you're putting out as much bad information about Tua as you can right now, if that's who you really want. And I had to laugh about the report about his, you know, to his broken wrist came from the Miami Herald. Like that, like where do you think they got it from? Where do you think their source existed that they got this information and who would have leaked that unless they wanted that information to get out there? So uh, to me, I think it's still more smoke than anything else. All right. Is there smoke in this Falcons potentially wanting to trade up? I saw that bleacher report update. Danes talked about it as well, but Falcons trading up for a cornerback, specifically CJ Henderson of Florida, maybe trading up with the Jacksonville Jaguars to nine to make sure they land that, you know, super athletic cornerback uh, out of Florida. No, I, I don't think that is at all because of, you know, how big a need cornerback is there, how willing they've been in the past and like almost hitting on Julio Jones right at the beginning of Thomas Dimitrov's tenure. I, I think that was Thomas Dimitrov that made that trade uh, right at the beginning of his tenure. Almost like it makes it, it makes your mind a little bit more, makes you think that that's what you're going to get every time, even though that's kind of the outlier in terms of trading up over the course of the history of the NFL draft. So I'm obviously we're not going to get on board with that. Just take the best corner that's there if you really do want a corner, but I think they will because I think uh, they're going to have to jump some teams there. Maybe the Ve- maybe Vegas, maybe uh, the Jets if they do want a corner. Maybe the Broncos as well. So uh, I could I could see them definitely moving up if they want a cornerback in this class. A few teams that I could see moving up are them, Denver, uh, obviously New Orleans. They're going to move up uh, <laughs> in this first round. Uh, I could see all those teams uh, trying to make a play to get up more a little higher in this draft probably tampa bay as well if the tackles start to run another trade-up scenario is the denver broncos trading up ahead of let's say the las vegas raiders to make sure they get the receiver they want do not sit there and let the raiders and the san francisco 49ers take the two best receivers off the board and they kind of get whoever's left i think the broncos there's a good chance and we talked about this with some some others in the you know the draft space here that the broncos want to trade up and go grab their receiver maybe henry ruggs they you know it's been said all off season that the denver broncos want to add speed opposite of Cortland sutton for 2020 What's your take on that? Is that a smart move for the Broncos to potentially trade up from 15 to 11 to get ahead of the Raiders and draft their favorite receiver? I mean, obviously it depends on how much you give up, but I do not believe it's a smart move. I don't think there's that big a difference. Is it, if you want a deep threat in this class, I don't think there's that big a difference between Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager. If you want a complete number one type of wide receiver, I think like CD lamb or Jerry Judy will still be on the board there for you. Like, I, I don't think you're going to see this big run. Oh, wow. So maybe if you do, maybe there will be, but then, I mean, draft the next guy. Like it's a loaded wide receiver class. Do not under any circumstances trade up to go get one in this class. Like that is not, that is not a good use of draft picks uh, when it's that much talent available. And just reminds me of when, you know, the bills back in 04 or 2014 traded up for Sammy Watkins, gave up a future first rounder. They could have gotten Odell Beckham. They could have gotten Brandon Cooks. They could have gotten Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, where they picked. But they wanted to go get Sammy Watkins because they were sure. They knew he was the missing piece for their offense. Yeah, I can't get bo- get on board with it either for the same reasons I kind of outlined earlier. And that like trading up for position that isn't the quarterback position, you rarely recruit that value. I mean, the Julio Jones trade is like one of very few trades for a non-quarterback that really panned out. So I- I'm interested to see if that actually runs true. And I think it's it puts the Jets in a very good position, a Jets team with a very bad roster in a position to potentially trade down and allocate more draft capital 
Darnold to build around Sam Darnold. I like that move for the New York Jets if they are indeed the trading partner with the Denver Broncos. Last thing here before we get to the interviews, there are some rumors that the Cleveland Browns want to get out of the number 10 overall pick. Get out of there, not take like an Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, or Jedrick Wills, but instead trade down further in the draft and maybe scoop up Ezra Cleveland of Boise State, still fill that offensive tackle need. It's been reported for a while now that they love Ezra Cleveland, have done a ton of work on the Boise State product. What's your opinion of the Browns trading back and potentially targeting Cleveland at the back end of the first round? Again, get on the phone with the Saints. Javon Kinlaw or Derek Brown are still on the board. I'm sure the Saints would love either Stop. of those guys. Think that's the Saints piece. trade up for Derek Brown. I will. I will lose it. It's I, gonna I, happen. I mean, like, absurd. like I said, 95 percent chance. I have no inside info. I just have followed the Saints very closely in their draft history. They trade up and they're going to draft a guy who's going to be a good player. He's not going to be the missing piece, as we've seen in their past two trade ups. Uh, it's not going to necessarily be the one guy that puts them over the edge because rookies just struggle, but they're still going to do it anyway. So uh, I think it's likely that the Browns do trade down. I I can't get on board though, with passing over an Andrew Thomas there to trade down. Even if you're accruing draft capital, like he's good. Like he's very, he's obviously our top tackle prospect. And I think he's like NFL ready after that top four, unless you trade down and still get Josh Jones. Like, I don't think they're NFL ready. I don't think Ezra Cleveland like he's a athletic project at this point. I don't think he's stepping in right away and helping you. And I, I do believe you really do need some help there. That's going to be right away, helping you right out the gate. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I think they will probably trade down though. And that's just the analytical approach says, Hey, trade down. And I'm, I'm not going to argue too hard with it. I talked to Curtis Weaver, Ezra Cleveland's former teammate at Boise State, and I'll tell you this, Mike, he's got a first-round grade on Ezra Cleveland. Says he's got the best feet in the class. Take that as you will. Mm. Um, both, both those guys are that, very good friends. That will be – I mean, he went up against them every day in practice. I, 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 I asked him – I asked him, and he wouldn't tell me, but I asked him, what moves would you use to beat Ezra Cleveland? He says, I'm not going to do that, but I'll say you have to – he said you have to go in the bag to beat Ezra Cleveland. You have to look at the toolbox to beat him. You're not going to beat him with pure speed or a pure bull rush. You have to use tools. You have to use pass rush moves. That interview with Curtis Weaver should air on the Friday edition of 2 for 1 Drafts. For now, we are going to pivot for the two interviews we had with Seth Galina, new PFF analyst, and Dane Brugler. We'll start with Dane, then pivot to Seth Brugler. But before we let you go, it's going to let you know this again. Draft guide giveaway. We are giving an edge monthly subscription to 10 randomly selected people that email me a screenshot of their podcast review after April 12th. That includes the name of your favorite prospect in this class. Please do that. And let's get let's give out some edge annuals. I mean, let's give out some edge monthly subscriptions. We're excited to do it. Mike, anything to add before we jump to the interviews? Nope. Get two good interviews, though. You definitely stay tuned for these interviews. Yep, fantastic stuff from both Dane and Seth. Here we go. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is The Athletics' Dane Brugler, a friend of the pod. We've had him on before. Dane, it's great to have you on. I'll appreciate it. Always enjoy it, guys. Well, I got to get right into this, man. You published a draft guide. And PFF, Renner likes to say his draft guide's awesome, the best in the biz. But this thing, man, this, this the beast that you've given to the athletic that you can get with an athletic subscription is absolutely fantastic. Super rich in text and, you know, in text and data, all this stuff. I really, really do appreciate the insight in that thing. Talk to us about all the work that goes into your draft guide. No, and then, look, there there are plenty of really good draft guides out there. I know the one that you guys do at PFF is awesome, uh, and the one that the one that I do is you know I try to make it as as readable as possible, as detailed as possible. You know, it's just you try to put as much info as you can in there. Try to give the readers, uh, you know, the even if they don't know anything about the player, uh, the best chance to understand who that player is. After reading the report, uh, not only just strengths, weaknesses, what they did on the field, but their background information, where they come from, their journey, um, you know, some of the metrics, some of the production. So, you know, you just try to paint a picture uh, for the reader. And so, um, you know, I try to do that with the draft guide. It's a year round thing for me. And so um, <clears throat> if you're interested in the NFL draft at all, I promise you there is a zero percent chance you'll be disappointed uh, with the draft guide. And the, the only way to get it is through the athletic. If you're a subscriber, it's part of your subscription. So hopefully people check it out oh i love it i love the no frills aspect you go right to it right to the analysis no sort of no no big you know player images or anything that we have in ours just you have the analysis there and it's for me that's a dream that's all i really care about so i love that aspect what i want to know kind of as a guy who you know does 
his own guide to some degree or does some of his own analysis is when do you put like pen to paper on this? How long does this process end up taking you uh, to build this guide? For me, it's a 10 month process started June 1st um, every year. And it's, you know, it's, I know from me personally speaking, you know, we're, I'm not like a, a professional team where I've got a whole staff working for me doing these things. So it's, you know, it just takes a lot of time and, you know, it's amount of a lot of research talking to uh, scouts, talking to these players, um, you know, just throughout the, the football season, you know, I remember talking to, Adam Troutman back in September and learning about how he never caught a football in a game until he was a redshirt freshman at Dayton. He was a quarterback his entire life. Um, and so, you know, you just learn these little things and then, uh, you know, throughout the process, uh, you know, you, you make tweaks to your pro, you know, to your, these reports, you learn more about them at the senior bowl, the combine, um, you know, it's just, it's a very, it's a living document. And, um, you know, you, you, the, wor- the worst thing I think is just knowing when to cut it off. Cause there's always another guy you can watch. <laughs> there's always another tape you can watch, you know, it's just impossible to fully get everything, but you try to look under every rock and do as much info as you can. And so, um, you know, hopefully this guide shows that. All right. I want to get into also, in addition to the beast, I'm sure you put a ton of work and effort into your seven round mock draft that you released for the athletic. And I think that's something that stands out for me and something that's kind of topical right now is the idea of Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback going ahead of Tua Tungawailoa in the top five of the NFL draft. You see now that betting odds have shifted from two thirds chance Tua Tungawailoa goes first ahead of Justin Herbert. And now that two thirds chance Herbert goes ahead of Tua. What are you hearing there? What's your thought process there having Herbert go ahead of Tua. Yeah, and I remember I remember leaving Indianapolis uh, for the combine uh, beginning of March, and I remember tweeting that I would not be surprised at all if Justin Herbert is the second quarterback drafted, just because talking to teams at the combine, it was the same type of uh, response. You know, we're cautiously optimistic, like you know we. Uh, he did okay. And he just, there's, there were no teams that definitely said or definitively said that you know we. We, we feel great, you know, about to his medicals. We feel like, you know, they're, we're willing to take that chance. No worries at all. And so I, the medical thing, and I know we're, you know, we're supposed to be the experts. We're supposed to tell people what's going to happen. I have no problem telling people I don't know when it comes to <laughs> these medicals. We just don't know how every team is going to digest uh, the, the not only what happened in college at Alabama with Tua, but also moving forward, you know, each team has a different appetite for risk. Each team has a different doctor with a different set of criteria of what work, you know, the, the chances that they're willing to take medically. So it's, it's just really tough to boil down exactly how the dolphins at five, the chargers at six, how do they specifically feel about Tua and not only, uh, you know, the injuries that he had, but being able to stay healthy for a full 16 soon to be 17 game schedule. So, you know, the greatest predictor of future injuries is past injuries. And I know a lot of people throughout the league really abide by that. And so it, it makes a guy like Tua, who's a top five talent. I think we we all agree on that. It just, it makes it really tough to project where he's going to go. And I don't think we're talking enough about just the possibility if he fell past six, you know, where does he go? Uh, it just makes it really tough because there's no obvious landing spots. You look at a team like the Jaguars at nine, that makes some sense. You know, Gardner Minshew, they're going to let him be the guy for a year. Uh, but, you know, maybe two is too, too good of a player to pass up on uh, at that point in the draft. The Raiders at 12, maybe, I, you know, I don't think Tampa, I think they're all in with Tom uh, Brady the next year or two. So I don't think they would do that. So it makes it really tough to figure out exactly where Tua would end up if he gets out of that top six. Yeah, I've been saying that it's very likely one of those top quarterbacks does fall because of what you said there, there there's no real obvious landing spot after the, after the chargers mm-hmm. and after the dolphins for a quarterback. But I, I want to kind of touch on the injury aspect though, that you hit there in terms of how do you in your rankings account for injuries? Like, like you said, you try not to factor that in too much. And we here at PFF, we really won't alter at all. Uh, you know, our evaluation of a guy based on maybe some injury history. How do you factor that though into yours? It, it, it's a good question. It's really tough because I, you know, it, it, we don't have all the information that obviously teams do. And, um, you know, that's the biggest, 
uh, I think disconnect between team boards and, uh, you know, all of us on the outside because a team or a player might've been a four-year starter, didn't miss a game. And, you know, we never even entered our minds that he would have an injury uh, question, but he was flagged for an arthritic knee or the shoulder is not going to hold up or, you know, and it, it's something that you, you don't find all this information out on every single player. I remember, Gosh, I mean, four or five years ago now when Jay Ajayi was coming out of Boise State, I remember I got some late information that the knee was a real issue, that teams were really worried about the longevity. And so I remember, you know, we were talking about Jay Ajayi at that point as an early second round player. And then I put that out there and, you know, I Boise State fans hated me for a couple of years there because, <laughs> you know, he fell to the fifth round and I was blamed for it. I, I mean, first of all, teams are not going to let him fall based off what anything I say. Uh, but you know, they, I obviously got that information from a team who flagged the knee and that was the worry with him. And so you just, you don't know with each one of these players, a lot of times that's, that could be the reason they fall. And, you know, I, I find it important to include the medical information that I know of, but with that said, I'm I'm sure there's plenty of medical information that we just don't have uh, public access to. Something else I found interesting about the the seven round mock draft you dropped, you have CeeDee Lamb, the Oklahoma wide receiver, going number 12 to the Las Vegas Raiders, the first receiver off the board. Niners picking up Henry Ruggs of Alabama, and then two picks later, Denver Broncos, Jerry Judy. A lot of people see Judy going maybe ahead of CeeDee Lamb and Henry Ruggs. Where are you right now with the receiver class? What are you hearing about those three specifically? All of those kind of in the same tier, wide receiver one potential, but where are you right now in in terms of how the teams see this class, how the teams see the top of this receiver class yeah and it just comes down to preference um you know what are you looking for i mean i think we you know each one of us could probably sell the other on one of these receivers because they each offer something a little different jerry judy you know it's the route running it's the break and balance skills that start stop ability to uncover uh with henry Ruggs, the explosive speed his ability to uh you know not only as a as a deep guy but as someone after the catch uh, it just he 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 makes it really tough for corners to stick with him and then with uh, uh with cd lamb the ball skills the football iq um just the the natural ability he has as a ball handler and then uh after the catch he can make things happen um and so so it's I think each one of those guys is has something going for them that you can point to and say, well, that's why he should be the first receiver drafted in this group. I, I think it's it's going to be interesting. I think we might see a, a little bit of movement here. I, I think there might you know, I think I keep hearing Denver as a possibility as one of those teams that, you know, John Elway's got his got his eye on a specific receiver. Wouldn't be shocked at all if we see Denver maybe move up four or five spots uh, to get ahead of the Raiders at 12 to ensure that they get the receiver they're looking for, whether that's Lamb or or Judy or whoever they like. So I think we might see a little bit of movement in you know that 9 to 16, 17 range for uh, in, in, you know more than just the receivers, I think corner as well, but uh, specifically the receivers, I think the teams are going to be jockeying for position. They maybe get, you know, cause we see these guys as, you know, there's three really good ones in the top tier or, you know, that's, that's kind of how I was talked about teams don't necessarily see that the way we do. I mean, they, they have a favorite or, you know, they see a guy that they like above the rest. And so they're not afraid to go get them if that's, if they see that opportunity. Man, I would just be floored in this wide receiver class to trade up to then take a wide receiver. But yeah, yeah, crazy. I mean, they traded up for Sammy Watkins back in 2014. So crazier things have happened. All right, let's go to the cornerback class. So because that's the more interesting one to me in this mock draft where you have you see it that the NFL sees it a lot higher than probably the general public at this point where you have Jeffrey Kuda going three to the Lions. You have CJ Henderson sneaking into the top 10 to number nine for the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. You have A.J. Terrell, or excuse me, Trayvon Diggs, then the next cornerback off the board to the Cowboys. A.J. Terrell to the to the Raiders at 19. And then uh, you have Jalen Johnson sneaking into the back end of the first round to the Chiefs at 32 and Christian Fulton falling all the way out of the first round. How do you see this quarterback class, cornerback class, excuse me, personally? And do you really believe that, you know, guys like Trayvon Diggs, who people are saying might slip out of the first round entirely, could go in the middle? I know you're a little more plugged into the Cowboys than I it's this cornerback group is it's 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 a lot of fun really i mean i think most people would agree jeff okuda at the top uh, out of ohio state 
Um, and then I think CJ Henderson, he was, I think kind of the lead dog going into the combine as to be that number two corner. And then coming out of the combine, uh, he put an exclamation point on that with the way, uh, he worked out, uh, running the four, three, uh, at, you know, six, one, 200 pounds. So I think that CJ Henderson has put himself into that top 10 mix, but you know, me, for me personally, I, I really like Jeff Gladney. He's my number three corner. Uh, but you know, I don't think teams necessarily share that. There are a lot of teams that like him. But, uh, you know, he's got the knee issue right now. That's something that could hurt him a little bit. Uh, but Gladney might be uh, a mid-second round type of guy. Uh, the the corner that I think is really uh, intriguing a lot of teams, and they, I, I, frankly, I don't know that they know what to do with him. Or, you know, they, they, they really are intrigued by him. And they're not sure exactly what the right value is. And that's A.J. Terrell from Clemson. You know, 6'1", 195 pounds, ran a 4'4'2". And even though, you know, Jamar Chase in the national title game just abused him, uh, the body of work is still there for Terrell. I mean, he has some good tape out there. And he has a projectable body. He's got the athletic skill set. Um, you know, by you know, not a perfect prospect by any means, but the traits are very, very intriguing. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all if AJ Terrell is closer to CJ Henderson than he is to, you know, whoever's behind him in terms of being that next cornerback off the board. He could be in that top 15, top 17 mix. I think the Falcons, the Falcons are really interesting at 16. I could see them moving up for CJ Henderson uh, to nine or 10, you know, the Browns, we know the Browns, they want out of that 10th spot. Uh, if, if the right value is there, they'd love to add a day two pick plus, you know, get another tackle, um, you know, later on in the, in the mid to late first round, Ezra Cleveland from Boise state, that's who they've had their eye on. They've done a ton of work on him. Uh, Dallas at 17 is really interesting with, because they want Calavion chase on, but I don't think he's going to be there. They want CJ Henderson. I don't think he's going to be there. The next you know few options you're looking at. Uh, I know they've got a, a, a pretty good grade on digs and I know they like uh, AJ Terrell. So, uh, you know, could, which one are they, which one's going to be available for them? Could Terrell be off the board at that point? I think it's possible. Uh, this, I think you, you, you kind of hit on it. This cornerback class is just, it's a lot of fun because there's just so many different ways these guys can come off the board. Uh, we're going to see them go early. Uh, you know, this, this first round is going to be about the offensive tackle. Well, first the quarterbacks then the offensive tackles. Uh, the wide receivers and then the corners, those four positions, we're going to be, it's, it's really going to make up the bulk of this first round. I have two follow-ups off after that with CJ Henderson. He had him going nine to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Some were comparing him to Justin Gilbert, the former Cleveland Browns bust. People are afraid of his 2019 tape, gave up a lot of yards compared to 2018 and 2019. So I'd love your opinion of CJ Henderson, how much weight you place in the production in 2019. And also I'm currently writing up a piece on Jeff Gladney. I am a huge fan of Jeff Gladney. It's great to hear that you are as well. I'd love to get your breakdown of him, his scheme versatility, what he can do in in different coverages, et cetera. Yeah, and Henderson, I think he did take a step back as a junior, and I I don't know how much of that was, uh, you know, kind of saving himself or, you know, how how much of that goes it was into his thought process about maybe not, uh, you know, looking towards the NFL already. Uh, But there were two things, two areas where I just wish CJ Henderson was better, and that's uh, being a playmaker at the catch point, um, you know, I think he's he has the athletic skill where he can attach himself to routes and, you know, run up and down the field and cover these guys. It's just I wish he did a better job finding the football and being a playmaker at the catch point and then also just a better tackler. You know, I don't need uh, my corners to be, uh, you know, all pro tacklers. Just, you know, you have to get your guy on the ground to be uh, you can't be a liability in that area. And Henderson at times was a liability. So I think those two areas are where. You know, it bothers me with Henderson, but still, I, I think there's a lot of talent there that you can work with. Uh, still a very young player, um, you know, still, you know, talking to uh, some of his uh, high school uh, coaches, they thought he was actually a better track athlete than a football athlete uh, coming out of high school. So there's just a lot of ability there with Henderson. I think that's what teams are willing to bet on. And then, yeah, Gladney. You just look at the production that he had the last four years. He had more passes defended than he did starts at TCU. And in my experience, you know, just looking at the the raw stats, passes defended is one of those stats that translates fairly well to the next level. In my experience, you know, if you can get your hand on the football as a defensive back, chances are you're going to be able to do that at the NFL level. And Gladney, I think him and Amik Robertson are the only two uh, corners the last two years in college football who had over 15 passes defended each of the last two years. So two guys that uh, with the proven ball production that I think will translate to the next level.
Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Gladney right now. I mean, over the past four years, only three other cornerbacks in college football have been tested more from a target standpoint. And this guy has a ton of ball production, high mm-hmm. force incompletion percentage. And with PFF, we've seen that one of the more predictive or sticky stats is forced incompletion percentage or that ball production you speak to. I think Gladney is a super productive player across a very large sample size. All right, we want to finish with this. I want to talk about this safety class. Compare first part, compare Jeremy Chin, the Southern Illinois safety, to Kyle Duggar, the other small school prospect for Lenore Ryan and talk to me about Xavier McKinney of Alabama and Grant Delpit of LSU falling into the second round in your latest mock draft. Yeah, this safety class, I just, I, I think I could poke holes in each one of them that, you know, really bothers me and why and me personally, I don't have a first round grade on a safety this year. You know, Xavier McKinney, I think is a really good run defender, really smart player. Uh, he understands football geometry, um, but the, you know, I, I just I can't get the South Carolina tape out of my mind where uh, his his struggles with the spacing relationship and coverage was a big issue. Uh, Brian Edwards was able to create his own separation. There was another can't remember the receiver's name, but he was able to that that South Carolina tape, uh, you know, gives me pause with McKinney in terms of his coverage ability. He's not a bad athlete. It's just he needs to get better if he's going to be relied upon to be, uh, you know, a true starter at the next level. Uh, but, you know, I still think he's the top safety option this draft has to offer uh, grand Delpit. It's kind of the opposite. He has the cover awareness. He has the range. It's just the tackling ability is something that you really worry about. It's something that there will be some teams, uh, you know, some of these coaches that value uh, tackling safeties, you know, the last line of defense, if they can't trust you, they're not going to draft you. And there'll be some teams that just want nothing to do with grand Delpit because of those tackling issues. And so, it's uh, it's something that can be fixed. It's coachable. You know, I think his his tackling issues are more fundamental than uh, an effort or a want to issue. You know, so many so many times he's leaving his feet before he needs to. He's not he's not calming his feet and and, and wrapping and finishing. And so I think it's it's fixable. But you know, that's there's no guarantee that they'd be, he'd be able to do that. Uh, the two small school guys you mentioned. Duggar and, and Chin, two really interesting players who I think went to the senior bowl and they didn't look out of place. You know, they did a solid job. Uh, Duggar is more of, I think, your box guy. Some teams have him on the board as a linebacker, 6'1, 217 pounds, a really smooth athlete. Uh, really liked how he uh, covers tight ends and backs out of the backfield, uh, like his range. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a long player. So you see him able to uh, detach from blocks and, and scrape and get to the football. Chin is, I think, more of your versatile, rangy player. He's got corner experience. Actually started three games at corner last year as a junior. Uh, and a guy that's 6'3", 220 pounds, there's just a lot of things working for him. Uh, had at least three picks in every single season uh, that uh, the last four years at Southern Illinois. Uh, so you, you do worry about the competition level. But there's no question that there's, there's a lot going for him and a good chance he ends up somewhere uh, in the top 50 picks. Dane, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's always a pleasure, always super insightful. Where can people find your work if they want to follow you through this pre-draft process and after the draft? Everything can be found at The Athletic and on my Twitter uh, feed at DP Brugler. And like I said, you know, the, the draft guide, I appreciate all the kind words. It's uh, That's really my baby and something that's a year-round process for me. So I, I promise that you will not be disappointed uh, by it if you, if you check it out. So hopefully everyone does. Awesome stuff, Dane. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is new PFFer, PFF underscore Seth, Seth Galena. He's joining. He's now a PFF member and analyst with us, a content contributor with us. Great to have you on, Seth. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, Thanks for asking. Talk talk to me about Seth. Talk to me about, you know, we met in Mobile. We had you on the podcast. For those who have been listening to the podcast for a while, we had you on the podcast in Mobile. Little did they know. It was the workings of potentially bringing you on here at PFF. Talk to me about your background, your decision to join PFF and all of that. Well, I think it all started. I watched Austin order the most <laughs> vile, the most vile meal at Waffle House um, in Mobile. And I was like, this is the guy I need to work with. Um, and then it was just, it was history, really. Uh, um no, I, I like I, I've I've been around football for a long time. I played it in high school. I uh, did not stand a chance to play it in college, uh, so I started coaching right away, and then I started writing about it, um, mostly about my favorite teams, uh, LSU and the Saints. Coaching at a ended up coaching at a relatively high level, 
um, you know, university football in Canada, college football in Canada. And then, um, and then you guys seem to take a liking to me. Uh, so here I am. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we're glad to have you on. You've already put out some great content. Uh, talk to me about this Jamar Chase piece, getting some good, good feedback on social. I know a lot of the people here at PFF loved it. You know, talk to me about the Jamar Chase piece, what you learned there, and then what also you're working on with PFF now. Well, I think with the Jamar Chase piece, you know, watch so we, I, I guess we all watched uh, so much LSU, whether you're just doing, um, uh, you know, looking at draft eligible guys because there's so many on that offense or just watching them because of how good the offense was. You know, we all watched them. And one of the things that stood out to me was how often they were in trips. I mean, they, they not they weren't in two by two formations a lot, but they were in three by one formations a ton and they didn't really move their guys around a lot. So Jamar chase, their X receiver was pretty much always that ISO receiver on that side. And like, you know, if you watch like an NFL game, you'll see guys move around a lot more than just be like, okay, you are, you are our best receiver. Um, you're going to play on this side, uh, you know, as the one receiver, um, like high school football, like certain levels of college football and LSU did that. So I was like, okay, well, you know, as I'm watching it throughout the year, I'm like, okay, something's not right. It's not, you know, it's not cookie cutter enough. Uh, I, I'm seeing something that's a little different. And I thought that they would line up Chase a little more inside than a normal team would. And when you think about trips alignments, you think about a, a receiver, um, you know, uh, usually a tall guy. You know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking about AJ Green right now. So he's like the prototypical X receiver. He's tall, he's fast, he goes up, he, he, he can make contested catches. And he's lined up, you know, outside where the numbers are on the football field. So he's pretty wide. He's near the sideline. He runs go balls. He runs slants. So what LSU did was they said, okay, Jamar Chase is not necessarily that type of of receiver. Um, He's obviously an elite player, but he's not A.J. Green. He's not Julio Jones type of player. Um, So they moved him in a bit. And then with, with, with Timo, I asked, you know, Timo has all his data about, form, you know, formational data. So I asked him, like, you know, is, was that true? Did they move him in more than other college receivers? And, and the answer was about three yards on average closer to the quarterback than any other receiver. And what this allowed them to do was to kind of use um, Chase's, you know, route running skill to run not just go routes, but now outbreaking patterns. So they ran a lot of corners, a lot of deep deep outs and this allowed them to get into one of my favorite past concepts which i call smash drive or some people call it shallow cross whatever you want to call it so it allowed burrow to work a real concept to his number one receiver side of the field and usually you know a corner and then the running back out in the flat um, to create a high low on the corner back so instead of just saying, like, okay, we're just going to run a go, and if the go is not there, we're going to come back, there's an actual concept here that he can read and he, can, he has kind of answers for um, rather than just a one-man route um, by their X receiver. And it, w- it was great. I mean, like, you know, they ran that so much out of, out of uh, trips. They, ran, they still ran the go routes, but again, because he was lined up so far inside, he had a lot of room to the sideline to work um, – you know, an outside release and then still have space before he, he runs out of runs himself out of bounds. And then I think my, my main thing was one of the reasons this all could work and they could just line him up, you know, more inside was because they did have in breaking routes from him. And usually that was in the form of how they ran their RPOs. So they would run a five step inside breaking route, you know, inside slant, I call it a glance post instead of the five yard, the five step outside breaking corner route that they would run on their drop back passes. So, you know, the first five steps for chase, if you're a cornerback or a safety, they looks exactly the same, but instead he's breaking inside or outside. And, you know, to be able to cut your split down from the X receiver and then still be able to run that RPO that a lot of teams do run, you know, you see Alabama running a lot you know, get an inside move and still have the space for Burrow to throw that ball in, in there. That's what made the whole, that was kind of like the last piece of the puzzle and made the whole thing go. So that's kind of what I was looking at um, throughout the whole season. And then obviously my priors were confirmed with the, uh, with the data and that's always a good feeling. So I have two sort of follow-ups 
to all of that. One, first one, who do you see being that guy for the Carolina Panthers? They just signed Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel on the roster. Who is their Jamar Chase in those three by one sets? Well, I like um, one of the receivers they just signed like yesterday named Christian McCaffrey. I think he's a really good receiver <laughs> for them. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I think it could be Robbie. You know, he has, you know, he's got, he does allow you to have that speed down the field that you still want from an X receiver. Um, I, I'm a big Robbie fan. I do think he probably gives you more value from the slot with that speed, but I, I, I think they'll try out a couple guys there. Um, okay. So not just one, like they did with chase. It'll probably be. Yeah, like, well, well, this is, and this is the thing when, when you talk about Brady going to Carolina, I think we talked about it um, actually in Mobile, like how different, like LSU was really simple last year in offense. It was, it was one personnel grouping and, you know, Chase was always lined up as ISO receiver, you know, for like 90% of the snaps, Um, you know, they would move the tight end back and forth. You know, there wasn't a lot of formation and there wasn't a lot of concepts. And I don't know if you could do that in the, Mm -hmm in the NFL. I mean, you brought up a good point, which is like, you know, the, the, kind of like the, the, the McVay coaching tree and stuff. Well, he's not doing it, doing so much, but it's still more than LSU. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Brady's going to have to get creative and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, is it going to look more like, like the actual, you know, Sean Payton, Norland Saints offense, or is it going to look more like the thing Brady did last year with a lot of RPOs and, and, and what I just talked about? I'm not sure. Interesting. All right. And then the second follow-up, I guess, was what do you think of Jamar Chase? This is a rookies and drafts podcast. What kind of prospect is he? You said he's not Julio Jones or AJ Green. How good actually is he then? In your eyes. Don't be a homer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um he 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 just has a he has like well, the first thing is like, do you find I don't know if you guys have watched so much of him? Um I'm sure he pops off when you're watching everyone else on LSU, but um, he's got a kind of a weird gait to his running style. Like his gait is a little weird, but um, that's kind of like aesthetically what pops out to me. But he's just, I mean, you know, they tried to press him the whole season and he just dominated against the press. And you guys talk about that a lot. Like, can you win um, against press coverage in college? Cause that's something that translates and he absolutely can. Like they pressed him all the time and he, and he dominated. I think he had the most, I think I put in the article, like most targets or most catches, most yards, most touchdowns against press coverage. Um, totally unstoppable. He has this really nice, like two hand swipe. Um, when, when he, um, when he gets pressed, I think he totally destroyed uh, Diggs from Alabama on that move and then mm-hmm. ran a go route down the side, uh, down the sideline. Uh, so he's just, he's phenomenal against press coverage. Um, you know, you know, crafty route runner. I don't know if as crafty as like his, his running mate, you know, Justin Jefferson, but like still very, um, very crafty, great, you know, at the top of his breaks and everything like that. I I will say, you know, with, with Scott Linehan coming in as the passing in coordinator at LSU, I think it'll be interesting to see where they do line him up uh, this season. You know, you could see him a lot more in the slot, just because if Linehan brings that, okay, well, you know, in the NFL, we move people around, like like I talked about, maybe Chase, you, we see more Chase routes from the slot, not necessarily just from the X receiver. And then it'll be interesting to see, like, what kind of routes you can run um, from those areas, too. What else are you? What else are you working on? I think the Jamar Chase piece was great, a, for, a great first edition to PFF.com from you. But I know on Tuesday, early Tuesday morning, you had a piece come out on uh, Mississippi State, Mike Leach bringing that to the SEC. And, and what else are you working on? Yeah, so the the I was really curious about Mike Leach coming back to the SEC. He was the OC for Hal Mummy in the late '90s at Kentucky when they kind of you know, stormed uh, that league with the air raid and all those passing concepts. And now he's back. <laughs> the roster doesn't really set up for much success there. They did, they did get um, KJ Costello, the former Stanford quarterback in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, so they got him in there. But one of the things that I really wanted to look at and what the article is about is because 
the ex-Hawaii head coach, Nick Rolovich, is now taking over at Washington State. And he comes with the run and shoot. And, you know, I wanted to look this up for myself because I'm, I'm not an expert in either of those two offenses and, like, kind of what the difference are. Because, yes, both the teams throw the ball a lot. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys have both watched, um, you know, Anthony Gordon when you're guys looking at draft pro- prospects. And you've also watched my quarterback, one Cole McDonald, when you're watching, Stop. Uh, <laughs> when you're, when you're watching uh, the draft prospects. So, you know, you see those two offenses. Yeah, they throw the ball a ton. I think both of them, uh, they're, they're one and two in, in, in total dropbacks uh, last season. But like, what, what really are the differences and what do kind of Mississippi State fans, uh, are they going to expect from their offense and what uh, Washington State fans will expect? Because, again, yeah, they're still, Washington State is still going to be among the top three teams that throw in the football, but it's going to look completely different, uh, in my opinion, than what they um, – than what they've used to over the past, I think, uh, what, seven, eight years now under Leach. Uh, the other well, thing I'm working on right now is, again, going back to my, my homeboy, KJ Costello. Uh, I'm ranking the uh, top four, maybe top five um, grad transfer quarterbacks. I say maybe top five because getting to five is, is it's been rough. <laughs> I think right now I have uh, – I have former Arkansas, former Texas A&M quarterback Nick Starkle as my number five. So, oh my gosh, it's, we're we're getting into the weeds here a little bit, but yeah, that's really fun. You know, you have where's Derek, Derek King on that list? Where's Derek oh, King on that one. list? He's number nice. one. Yeah, there was no there was no doubt for me. And then just because of how good, I mean, we have him graded as like ninety two. Um, his overall grade of grade of ninety two in twenty eighteen. Obviously, he fell off a cliff last year under Holgerson. But you, you know, if you get that type of play out of him in Miami, Miami's that, that's a that's a good sign for Miami uh, going forward. Hmm. And then you have you know guys like Peyton Ramsey, um, Costello, like I said, Jamie Newman, Felipe Franks, another great SEC quarterback, Jake Bentley. Um, so you know you have those guys I'm trying to rank them, trying to use um, my uh, my analytical tools to rank. Uh, uh Nick Starkle and Felipe Franks. It's been a rough, been a rough morning, actually. I feel for you. I feel for you there. Let's get to this <laughs> yeah. year's class though. Let's get to the actual draft. Back to the point of the two for one drafts podcast. We have our rankings. They just dropped on PFF's website at the quarterback position. Give me yours. So we know Joe Burrow is tied at number one with Cole McDonald. <laughs> Yeah. Who comes off the board after that for you? Just break it. Just go down like to number. Just go through the top five here, just in a row, and break it down for us. So I like. I well, I do think there's a difference between like who goes off the board and then who do I think can play quarterback in the NFL. Yes, that's what I want. Because, yeah. So like you know, I, I, Tua probably goes um, as a second quarterback. I'm a big fan of his. I think the 2018 tape will tell you more about Tua than the 2019 tape. And I say that just because I, I think when I look at the two offenses that he ran, and so you have Mike Loxley was the OC in 2018, and then Steve Sarkeesian comes in in 2019. And when you look at Alabama's offense in 2019, I mean, it's wild. It's just shot play after shot play after shot play. I think every four snaps, there's a sluggo by like a receiver in there. Like they're just throwing the ball down the field. And like, honestly, why not? Like you have these, this incredible group of receivers, you're playing against guys, you know, um, future um, like accountants of the world at, at safety. Like, yeah, you're going to throw the ball down the field. Did it show off to uh, in more of an NFL setting? No. But if you look at the 2018 tape, not that there weren't sh- shot plays in the 2018 tape but they're probably still a lot more plays where you have to make some reads over the middle of the field you know on, on dig routes and shallow routes stuff like that so i think you're gonna get a good feel for Tua in that year and he was great that year i mean he looks like he was great in 2019 before um before the injuries but i think you're you're getting uh i think you're getting a guy if you take Tua that is really polished and he understands how to get through his reads I think we, you know, we looked at, um, or I looked at what we call next read, which is kind of like the quarterback's ability to reset his feet to the backside of a play and deliver the ball accurately. 
And Tua doesn't doesn't um, grade very highly there, which was surprising to me because he does like look like a guy who knows how to do that, you know, just aesthetically. So that was a little concerning, but I think overall, I mean, he's still like uh, an elite prospect at the at that position. Where are you right now with Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, these other guys that are kind of like the tier after Joe Burrow and Tua Tungamailoa? Do you have a favorite in that group? Uh, I know the third quarterback on PFF board is Justin Herbert, but where do you stand with that right now? I think he'll come off the board as the third quarterback. I don't think he can play. Like, honestly, he just he can't play. He's late on every throw. Like, if he throws to his first read, like, oh, okay, it's fine, I guess. But he's late on every throw. I think um, the stat that Mike put out the other day about, you know, just looking at throws to just open receivers and he just misses them like once every five throws. I mean, that's terrible. So, you know, the accuracy is not there. The ability to process and play quarterback is not there. Everyone's going to point to the Oregon receivers not being good. And sure, like maybe against man coverage, they, they they could get open or whatever. But like against zone, Herbert shows no ability to understand what's going on and to get to the receiver with at, with you know adequate timing, and then with adequate accuracy. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. So I just don't. And for me, him and Easton are the same quarterback. For, for some oh, reason, wow. one of them. That's, for that's some reason, true. one of them is going to be going to be picked in the first round and one of them is going to be picked, you know, in the fourth or fifth or third, whatever, whatever it is. I'm not really sure. I mean, Easton, the thing with Easton is, is the absolute like porous play under pressure that is, is not as apparent with Herbert, but at the same time, you know, but just like as, as quarterbacks, they're the same. They both are super late on their throws. The accuracy is terrible, but they get picked in the draft because they're tall and they, they look good, I guess. He's got nice long hair, Justin. <laughs> Where so are you wait, with? Um, get to, go ahead, get to the, right. Just get through the top five, then. We got so we got okay, okay, yeah. So love, love will be the next quarterback. Love is funny to me because I I think that he probably gets it more than than a guy like Herbert, and he I like something about love that I like is that he plays it with a kind of um, kind of an arrogance. Where he's like, you know, you see a few throws where he's like, yeah, I'm going to pump this, this defender this way because it's going to open up something on the backside. And then he, he pumps it and he, and he comes to the backside and he's like, oh, yeah. And then there's a defender there and he throws an interception. <laughs> it's like, well, come on, dude. So, like, <laughs> it is kind of crazy. Um, so, like, there, but, but, I, but I do like that, that kind of arrogance. It just like he doesn't put it all together. Um, I think the one of the funny things about Love is all the interceptions this year that came on the same part of the field. Like, just cornerbacks undercutting an outside receiver to the far side of the field. And I think it's always to his right, if I'm not mistaken. Like, just like, you know, quick outs, speed outs to the sideline, you know, hooks to the sideline. He's getting undercut the whole time, so he's late on everything. Um, his eyes are a little bouncy, like he'll go from there to there to there to there, back to back, and that's not great. But his game against San Diego State, which I think is a pretty good, you know, marker because San Diego State's a, a good, you know, team in that conference. Go Aztecs. Yeah, th- that's a. I mean, he look. He, he throws. He throws a ball to a to a to a corner or back or a safety. I don't remember. Uh, like he's want to do. But that game showed me, like, okay, there's something there. Like, the footwork was good. The timing was good. The accuracy was there. It's just, like, it's all about consistency, and he doesn't show that enough. But that's kind of the thing where I, I stick to it. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's a quarterback there. I see a quarterback there. Um, I just don't think it happens enough. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I think you guys have shown is like, if you're, if you're a guy who throws the ball to the other team a lot in college, you're probably going to be that guy in the NFL. And you just, you can't have that. You just like, as much as the big plays are there with love, um, you, you just, you can't turn the ball over like he does. 
Two more guys. Two more guys I need your takes on here. Jake Fromm of Georgia and Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma. Where are you at with these two? How do you feel about them on day two, day three type of prospects? I mean, I think that Hurts... Hurts is funny. He's very, like, slow. But maybe that's more of a, uh, uh, like, a deliberateness. You know, if I'm being positive about it, he's very deliberate. And, you know, he takes his time with things. Obviously, he's, he, he's fast in terms of his running ability. But, you know, in the pocket, he, he's kind of slow. But, but, you know, his accuracy grades for us are elite, which I was surprised about because, you know, it, that wasn't really the case in Alabama. And, you know, the season kind of didn't go um, like maybe – you know, Oklahoma fans would have thought it went after the kind of the first half of, of last year at, in Norman. So I was like, oh, that's surprising that the accuracy is so good. You know, I think Lincoln Riley obviously gets people open for him. But, you know, with that said, I mean, your accuracy is accuracy and he's putting the ball where it, where it needs to be most of the time. You know, the reads could be polished. Um, but I don't think he's as bad. You know, if you're looking for a guy who can go, you know, a guy who played a lot of college football, but that got better playing college football is Jalen Hurts, as opposed to someone like Justin Herbert, who played a lot of college football and then was not getting better throughout those three, four years uh, in college. And then, and then from, from is, from is honestly, he's brilliant. From is, is a, he's like a, a beautiful mind. He just, he's not an, he's not a pro football player. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> like the arm is just not good enough the 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 athletic ability you know he can't add anything with his feet but he's absolutely brilliant um especially like he does stuff um uh, you know i've seen there's uh, two plays that i watched um recently one against against notre dame when they played them in athens where he has some sort of mesh concept and basically what ends up happening is he needs to get about four yards. It's like third and four. So he has the running back on a swing and he has a receiver coming to that same side, but he's starting from the backside on a little shallow cross. And you just see his head. Like he knows, like, look, he's got to read one defender, the flat guy to that side. And he's like, okay, I can throw it to the running back. And, you know, it's John J. Swift. And maybe he makes a, he makes a man miss and, and we get the first down, but I'm throwing it to him at, you know, negative two air yards, you know, two yards before the line of scrimmage, and he's going to have to make a play. So you see him just move his head and his eyes a little bit, and you just see once that flat defender moves one step outside, he resets his feet and fires that uh, crossing route, gets five yards, uh, it gets the first down. And it's like, wow, that's really good stuff. And then there's another one against LSU where he's like looking guys off just for a second, and then he comes back and resets his feet and throws a slant route against LSU. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. That's so cool. And it's like, okay, but you gained a total of eight yards on those two plays. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's great. it's great. He's really, really smart. But, like, I don't know if you can play in the NFL at that with, with, with that lack of kind of overall athletic ability. Do you draft him right. to be your QB coach then at that point? Third yeah, he's going to QB coach uh, draft pick. Yeah, the, the one Kellen Moore. Go like Kafka route and <laughs> yeah. All right, I want to wrap with this. Uh, I want to wrap with this. I need, I know you've watched a little bit of the grad transfer QBs, some of the guys in the 2021 class, but we had a conversation on Monday about Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence. Mike is still all in on Trevor Lawrence. Where are you with those two quarterback prospects right now, and in, in terms of how much you've watched and what they look like right now? I, I, you know, I'll start with saying that I haven't watched as much fields um especially from like you know the the game tape uh i have watched them on tv a lot last year with that said uh, you know uh, you know that could you know my, my mind could change when i do watch the field stuff but trevor lawrence is 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 the best quarterback that i've seen in a long time you know in terms of a prospect you know burrow will you know burrow had the best season for uh, you know a player in in a long time but he also did it at you know 27 years old and uh, he already had <laughs> his degree so it's a little different um Lawrence coming in as a true freshman and we gave him like a 90 plus grade the, the grade did go down last year I think he's forcing the ball you could see it all over his tape like the first half of the season 
there's there's um oh i'm trevor lawrence i could throw this ball and he just shouldn't have and then when he calmed down the the, the end of the year he's 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 a lead again until he goes against that buzzsaw of uh, david aranda defense in the national championship but to uh, uh trevor is uh, he's unbelievable honestly he's unbelievable that one of the most efficient movers in the pocket that i've seen um understands already you know, we're talking about, you know, most of the stuff I've watched the, the 2019 tape, but a lot of the stuff uh, that I think about is from the 2018 tape where he's a true freshman and he still is able to understand timing and anticipation. And like, like I said, the, the pocket movement was there from the beginning. Uh, I think there's some stuff he could do uh, to improve mechanically and maybe that'll ha- help his accuracy. He does dip the ball a bit, dip the ball a little bit. Um, so there's not like super proximal movements there. But um, with that said, he's still, you know, the best prospect that I think since since luck and maybe maybe you know in a long long time. Yeah, he had Lawrence had this one play. I don't know if you remember this in the national championship game against Alabama, where he's working like the right side of the field, and Alabama's bringing a blitz from the backside. It was the uh the uh the boundary side and he as soon as he brings his head back sees the blitz and then without even like looking to the flat just throws the ball towards his running back on that side knowing that like that's the guy who's hot like the guy as soon as he saw the blitz i didn't i think he overthrew the running back but just like the quickness to see the blitz and then like without even taking another like split second to process the ball was just going to that running back. No, yeah. It's like that was... guys who understand. And you saw that a lot from Burrow this year. It's like guys who understand how the entire defensive structure changes with one person's movement, mm-hmm. you know? So like, okay, well he's, he's coming there. And then um, that means that other things have to happen and I can speed up my process that way. And that's, that's kind of, I agree. That's where Trevor kind of, he stands up. Yeah. All right, Seth, really appreciate you having you on, man. It was great to get you on the podcast. We'll have to do more of this after the after the draft and in the season. Now that you're a full-time PFF, I really appreciate your work. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon.